the Jacksonville Jaguars gag, the Buffalo Bills take back what was theirs, the Philadelphia Eagles mail it in, and oh, the Pittsburgh Steelers find their way into the postseason. Week 18 has concluded, now it's on to the wildcard round as I'll have all the juicy storylines to prepare you for the road to the Super Bowl beginning next weekend. A national championship is at stake tonight as Michigan and Washington will battle for college football supremacy. Will this be the final game for Wolverine coach Jim Harbaugh? Draymond Green makes his return to the Warriors. A big hit for the Blackhawks in NHL. Also, Marc-Andre Fleury is in lofty company, but does that make him a Hall of Famer? And a huge loss for tennis fans as the Australian Open commences next week. We've got plenty to sink our teeth into as the sports world heats up during the winter season. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the J Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at J Reels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Here to deliver another exciting, fun-filled, jam-packed hour of sports talk is none other than yours truly, as you'll get my complete take on all that's happening as this. Is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And now that we're well into January, well, I know a weekend, a week ago today was New Year's Day, but now that we got the feel for 2024, and certainly with the sports world, with so much that's going on, a national championship tonight, we have the first leg of the Grand Slam for tennis. Kicking off next week and a huge blow there. Obviously, everything that's happening in the NHL, NBA, but we all know that now the 18-game or 18-week season has concluded in the NFL. We could set our sights for the road to Allegiant Stadium, Super Bowl 58, which will kick off this Saturday, 4.30, with two games on Saturday, three games Sunday, one on Monday, which I don't like, as everybody knows. But... Be that as it may, the NFL will now be, over the course of the next five weeks, considering the Super Bowl will be five weeks from yesterday, on CBS. And it's funny because last night I was flicking back and forth with the wife where the Golden Globes were on CBS and they put the promos up for the Super Bowl. And I laugh at that because I think to myself, you don't even need promos for the Super Bowl because everybody and their mother's going to watch the damn thing. So they don't even need to do that because the NFL, the bulletproof shield that they are, please, they could just be crickets from now until that second Sunday in February and everybody's going to be glued to see what's going to happen there between the AFC representative and NFC representative. But let's get to yesterday before we look ahead and there are a lot of underlying themes here that bothered me, some that actually made me very surprised and others that will dissect and disseminate here over the course of hopefully the next 25 minutes. I know the NFL will take up a lot of this podcast, and rightfully so. But let's start off with the good, and I'll go pretty much in order when we look at the schedule. 
And we'll start Saturday afternoon in Baltimore in a monsoon where the Ravens rested everybody on offense except for the offensive line. You did not see Lamar Jackson. You did not see Odell Beckham Jr. You did not see Zay Flowers. So the Ravens, as we know, they're going to rest their players. And I talked about this on Thursday's podcast being a bit of a tightrope that you're going to walk here because when you're going to rest your players for three weeks, and we saw this happen five years ago, and I understand it's five years. We can't look at what happened then and think that's what's going to happen now. But the Ravens, hopefully they've learned their lesson because the bullseye is squarely going to be on them, not this coming week, but the following week. And we'll get to them down the road, of course. But the Steelers were able to win in the muck, were able to grind out a 17-10 win where they got the big touchdown pass from Mason Rudolph to Deontay Johnson, which took the lead and put them in good stead to win the game. And the Steelers, they needed to win in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. And they were able to get out of Baltimore. Think about this. They actually swept Baltimore, and I believe, what did they won? Seven out of the last eight? They were 5-1 and one in the division. And got to 10 to think when you get 5 in the division and win 10 overall, on top of losing two games back-to-back at home to two win teams at the time, just a remarkable job by Mike Tomlin. And we've said this time after time after time, for everybody that wants Tomlin overboard, name me another guy that you want to have coaching on the sidelines. And I'm not trying to make Mike Tomlin out to be Chuck Noll. I'm not trying to make him out to be more than what he is. But if you have a replacement that you think could be better, if not... The job that he's done here has been stupendous. This team could have folded. This team could have cut out whatever it is that he's trying to send the message to his team. But here he is. Another year where he does not have a losing season. He gets back to the playoffs for the first time in two years. That was right after the pandemic year, 2021. And now they have an opportunity to see what they could do. And have the Buffalo Bills, which we'll get to in a minute, along the way in the wildcard round. So good job by the Steelers to eke out that win. And then the night game where the Texans, some big throws there by C.J. Stroud. And there was the difference when he had those two big plays downfield late in the game. And they opened up the game with a big touchdown to Nico Collins. That one throw that Stroud made where it looked like he just slung the ball. And Nico Collins made that diving catch. And if that's going to be the beginning of what could be some beautiful music, not only made between the quarterback and wide receiver, but... If they could continue to be hot, who knows what we could see here from C.J. Stroud and company. Maybe not in this playoff season, but certainly in years to come. But what this game boiled down to was in the final minute as the Colts were driving, they had a fourth and one deep in Texan territory. And after a timeout where they try to draw the Texans off sides, what happens? Gardner Minshew finds Tyler Goodson in the flat. And it was a ball that was not... A good throw. Now, mind you, Goodson should have caught that ball. It was within reach, but he wasn't able to corral it. It would have been nice if Minshew led him into that ball. Goodson had to contort a little bit to see if he can make the catch while his legs looked like they were in a blender. But that was a ball that he should have caught and was dropped in the flat. And the Texans, even after them taking a safety with one second left, 23-19, I don't know what that meant for the gambler out there, whether it was the over-under, I couldn't even tell you, or even the point spread, I'm sure it was low anyway. But the Texans were able to get out of Indianapolis alive, and I had a feeling that they were going to win the game. Something just told me that Stroud, with him being out due to the concussion protocol and trying to get him back for these final couple of games down the stretch, and now they won the AFC South and put themselves in a position where they're going to have a home game against a team that they just saw a few weeks ago and lit up the scoreboard, especially Amari Cooper with, what was it, 265 or somewhere in the high or mid to high 260s when it comes to receiving yards. But for Houston, a superlative job by the head coach, D'Amico Ryans. I get it that Kevin Stefanski may be your coach of the year in the NFL, but Ryans will not be far behind as far as getting votes. A team that picks second in the draft, And who knew what was going to be of C.J. Stroud in comparison to Bryce Young. But we've seen here in this first year, Stroud is miles ahead of the Panther quarterback. And that's not a knock on Young. They do not have an offensive line. But great job by the Texans as they win the division. And now that leads into Sunday. Because one of the big gag jobs that you've ever seen here. For a team that was on the come up. A team that won a division last year, albeit 
the last weekend of the season when they beat the Tennessee Titans in their building. And here it was a year later with the scene shifting from Northern Florida to Nashville, Tennessee. And for the Jaguars, who think about this. After week 12, they were 8-3. and three, Riding high. Looked like they were going to win a division on roller skates. And even though Houston and Indianapolis were hanging around and you could have thought that ah, maybe they'll have a crack at them somewhere down the road because it's not as if the Jaguars were going to run the table to go 14-3 and three or 13-4. and four. You probably thought they would have been, at worst, 11-6. and six. And like I mentioned, that week 12, which was Thanksgiving weekend, the Jaguars, who, like I said, riding high and you thought they would have just cruised to a division. And mind you, Jacksonville, after last year, the success that they had, and they... Won a playoff game, they came back from 27-0 to the Chargers and then had a very competitive game, which they fell short in Kansas City. A lot was expected of them this year to take that next step. And like I said, here we go. Week 12, 8-3, they just beat the Texans in Houston. And now you just look six weeks later and they did not make the postseason. Not only did they not win the division, they couldn't even get a wild card. Based on their performance there yesterday in Nashville to where the Titans got off to a big lead, big game by Derrick Henry who got a bunch of yards on very little carries and Mike Vrabel who knew that this was probably going to be the last time Derrick Henry was going to be in a Titan uniform and I'm sure all they wanted to do was have a celebratory mood from a very down season in Tennessee but boy that was a big time performance by Henry and not only that but for Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback, the former number one pick overall. We understand that he's a good quarterback and he's definitely shown some flashes. But yesterday was a day that you certainly want to forget if you're a Jaguar fan. And for him to put up that type of performance, bad throws. I understand the numbers at the end of the day don't look bad. But he did not play well overall. He had to try to drag his team back. And even as it was at 28-13, they cut it to 28-20. They're marching down there in the fourth quarter. And now here they are first and goal. To the point where it's fourth and goal and a long one. And what did Lawrence try to do? He tried to not only leap, but stretch his right arm to get across the goal line, which wasn't even close, where the Titan defense was able to thwart him there. And from that point on, it gave all the momentum and all the gas in the tank for the Titans to win that game in their building and send Jacksonville packing to an early vacation. Just a terrible performance there by the Jaguars in a big spot. They were unable to seal the deal. All they had to do was win the game and they would have made it into the postseason as a division winner in the AFC South. And now there's going to be questions abound not only with the quarterback, but even with the head coach. And he's going to survive this based on him making the playoffs last year. But you would think that the ownership is going to look at this long and hard to think that there may be a short lease for Doug Peterson. Not much for the quarterback, but you know his time's coming when it comes to a big payday because I believe he's going to be a going into his last year of his rookie contract, and are you going to fork over, in essence, $280 million with about 175 of that guaranteed to a guy who's, all right, won one playoff game, but it was against the Charger team, who, as we all know, vomited all over themselves in big spots. And for this organization, who is trying to take that next step, this is a major fallback, if you ask me. Speaking of Souths, when we look at the NFC during that 1 o'clock window, you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win a whole Hummer, 9-0, three field goals there in Carolina to where they win the division, so there was no drama when it comes to winning the division from that point. So Tampa will host another home game just like they did last year, and it's their third straight division title. So kudos to the coach, Todd Bowles, and even Baker Mayfield for that matter even in an unimpressive 9-0 win on the road. But the other news coming out of New Orleans was the Falcons as they tried to see if they could get into the playoffs. Same for the Saints for that matter. But the Saints were able to give some payback to the Falcons just a few weeks ago when Atlanta beat them down in the ATL. Yesterday you had some controversy where the Saints ran up the score on the Falcons and then the process had the head coach Arthur Smith jettisoned Black Monday, or I think last night the news came down that Smith wasn't going to return. And that was just a tough break. I know Smith has not had a lot to work with there. I mean, think about it. Desmond Ritter's your quarterback. 
And I understand that they have a good ground game and they've had their moments this year, but Atlanta certainly wasn't a team that was looking to be a surprise or maybe even a dark horse there in the NFC. And I get it. If they would have won the game, it would have been respectable. That is a very underrated rivalry between the Saints and Falcons. And for Derek Carr to have his biggest game in a Saint uniform, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And then, like I mentioned, they ran up the score there where they got the ball first and goal. And even though Dennis Allen said that to take four knees, but Jameis Winston, who came into the game at that time, just handed the ball off to Jamal Williams and up the gut, touchdown, and away you go. And it just so happened that in the, not in the post game, but at the end of the game, when you had Arthur Smith go up to Dennis Allen, you could tell he was animated and very upset. And he probably knew that his job was going to be on the line to think that the score 41-17 to 48-17 certainly didn't bode well or didn't look cosmetically when it comes to the ownership there and Arthur Blank down in Atlanta but Arthur Smith out same for the Saints they're out they didn't make it to the postseason based on Tampa winning so your one o'clock window had that and if you want to throw this in the mix I know that the New England Patriots lost to the Jets and a bit of a surprise but the Jets were due because the Patriots have owned the Jets over the years doesn't matter who was the quarterback or the coach etc But the Jets won an ugly game in snowy Foxborough and all the questions are going to, and they've already been asked, and you know Bill Belichick, he's going to be mum and tight-lipped about it. But for the Patriots, you wonder if this is going to be a thing where Robert Kraft, the owner, is going to take some time to process all of this. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of meetings if there already haven't been a couple of meetings between he and his head coach. But we would think that Belichick may finally be put out the pasture after, what, 24 years in New England and maybe look to see if he could break Don Shula's record elsewhere. It could be Washington, as Ron Rivera has been let go, as well as pretty much the whole front office. And now they're bringing in, of all people, Bob Myers, the former Golden State Warrior GM, as well as the former Viking GM, Rick Spielman, to oversee who the next GM and coach will be for the Commanders. And I get it, Josh Harris is not a football guy, but to bring in, and I get it, Culture for Golden State, Bob Myers, etc. But eh, who am I to say? A little bit strange, but we'll see what's going to happen there in Washington where maybe Bill Belichick goes about, what, 300 miles south from the Northeast Corridor from Foxborough to the nation's capital. So we will definitely have to wait and see what's going to happen there over time. But other than that, not to get into the rest of the 1 o'clock window because you didn't really have much when it comes to that. So now we get to the 425 window, and when we look at what happened there, not a lot of drama when it comes to the races for the seeding in the NFC, in particular between the Eagles and Cowboys, even the Lions for that matter, and the Lions did beat the Vikings in the 1 o'clock window, so they were hoping that they could get a couple of losses there from the NFC East foes, but what you saw there was an injury early to A.J. Brown. And pretty much the Eagles mailed it in. Now, I didn't watch this game play-by-play, but I saw that the Giants, they were ready to feast on the Eagles. They knew that they had played a tough game and a close game there on Christmas night. And then to have the Eagles, for the most part, they didn't even show up in the game. They were just there to kind of see how the flow of the game was going to go. And meanwhile, in D.C., where the Cowboys and Commanders were kind of going at it there in the first half to where the Commanders had an not an early lead, but they had a lead at 10-7 there midway through the second quarter. So they were hanging around. It wasn't as if they blew them out from the start, as you saw there with Dallas winning 38-10. But for the Eagles, who have fumbled, bumbled, and stumbled down the stretch, and that's another team. When I talked about the Jaguars after week 11 or week 12 at 8-3, how about the Eagles? after beating Buffalo in the week before Kansas City on a Monday night, and them at the time being 10-1. 10-1! They lose five of their final six games to not only stumble into the postseason, but are a five seed when this team, before the Niners went into Philadelphia early last month, they were challenging for a one seed. And now, look at where they're at. And the game that they're going to If they're not going to sleep all winter, barring a miracle here, and I'm going to say that, a miracle through this postseason, they're going to look at that game against Arizona because that's what lost them that two seed. Just a terrible job by the Eagles here down the stretch. And even though Nick Sirianni, the coach, is trying to put 
just a rosy picture to this whole thing saying that everybody's zero and zero. We believe in the group, blah, blah, blah. Of course, he's going to say that. What's he going to say? Oh, no, I don't think we're going to be able to get out of this game in Tampa. And it's going to be tough sledding for us. Of course, he's not going to say that. But to me, that team, obviously, they're shelled from the NFC champions that they were last year. And who knows how long they're going to be for this postseason. I think they'll win next Monday night. And I'll get through the schedule later. But other than that, this is going to be a tough haul for the Eagles, if you ask me. And then Dallas, they'll have the two seed. Followed by the Lions, they'll have the three seed there in the NFC. And then let's fast forward because I'm not going to get Seattle, Arizona. I understand Green Bay beat Chicago. And let's see what's going to happen with Matt Eberflus. And who knows what's going to happen with Justin Fields. He did say goodbye just in case because the Bears have the number one pick thanks to the Carolina Panthers. So they may look to draft a quarterback there. But for Green Bay to win that game, they get the final spot there in the NFC and the Rams already had clinched by beating the 49ers there yesterday not that they clinched beating the Niners they actually clinched their spot the week before but they beat the Niners there yesterday and of course no Brock Purdy and they rested everybody so that is window dressing if you ask me but now let's fast forward to the Sunday night game to wrap up the week and plain and simple if Buffalo were to win this game they would win the AFC East and if they were to lose they would have been that's right a seven seed in the AFC because the Steelers would have had the tiebreaker with the better conference record so Pittsburgh would have gone to Kansas City and thankfully in this regard that the Bills did win because guess what if the Bills would have lost the game they probably just would have stayed down in Miami because they would have had a rematch there Next week, where the Bills and Dolphins would have met again for a chance to advance through the divisional round. And thank God that's not going to be the case. Although now the Steelers, they're going to have to face Buffalo. Of course, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is twofold when you ask me when it comes to this matchup. Or this game, I should say. The Bills, to me, they were not spectacular. They did the job. They won the game and that's all that matters. Style points, as we all know. And now the Bills go into this postseason riding high. And you're going to hear this from coast to coast about how this Bill team now has peaked. Maybe this could be the time and the opportunity for them to make a run here. They had now the two games in their building before maybe going to Baltimore for an AFC Championship game. And I'd be quick to not go in that route. Although it's easy to want to say that because of how they played, and you got to give them all the credit in the world. But we all know. This is going to be a game of which Josh Allen is going to show up when it's all said and done. Is it going to be the guy that's going to literally put the team on his back and barrel into the line of scrimmage or barrel for first downs on fourth and short or try to extend plays and be that guy that, yeah, he'll take chances, but he's going to make smart chances and not try to force balls into windows where it shouldn't be? Or are you going to get the guy that's going to be prone to the turnover, a guy that's going to make the untimely pass, A guy that's going to unravel right in front of our eyes, similar to last year in the divisional round against the Bengals. And we've seen that. And even in the game against the Dolphins during the wildcard game last year, he wasn't spectacular in that game. Yes, he put up big numbers. Yes, he had the touchdowns. But again, he kept the Dolphins in the game, and the Dolphins actually had a shot late, but we saw what happened. And people are going to say, Jay Real, stop talking about last year. 100% understood, but the reason why I bring it up is the track record. We've seen this time after time after time with Josh Allen. And we don't know which quarterback to expect. And yes, we can say that for every quarterback in the league. We can talk about how the Patrick Mahomes of the world, even Lamar Jackson's, whatever, how based on their regular seasons and how they perform that, yes, Jackson's going to run the ball or Mahomes is going to have his magic, whatever. But we all know that this is going to be a situation where we need to know if We're going to get the steady Josh Allen that we've seen over the years or we're going to get a guy that's going to try to do too much or try to put everything on his shoulders to the point where that's where the Bills could implode. And I tell you, another thing about the game last night, I was surprised by that punt return, which shocked me, where the ball was kicked off, what was it, to the five-yard line and the kid's name, was it Deontay Hardy? Brought it back 95 yards. I couldn't believe he didn't let that ball go in the end zone. And here he was. He just ran it all the way back. And kudos to him for doing that. Because that was gutsy. That was certainly a play that I'm sure if you watch live, you probably held your breath to say, Ugh, why didn't he even let that ball go into the end zone? But he said, to hell with this. 
I'm going to take this back to the house. And sure enough, he did and shocked everybody. And that pretty much turned the game around where the Bills were able to win another AFC East title, their fourth one in a row. And on the flip side of that, people, the Miami Dolphins, this has to be a gut punch unlike any other. And they're going to also paint it with a lot of coconuts and palm trees, i.e. similar to South Florida, to where Mike McDaniel's going to say, well, we have the playoffs right in front of us. I know we have to go on the road. We could have had the two home games. Quite possibly, but now we're going to face an opponent that is familiar, an opponent that we feel that we could beat. He's going to say all the right things. But he is another guy, and that is another team that's going to look back similar to what we saw there with the Eagles when they're going to look back at that game against Arizona. The Dolphins are going to look at that game against Tennessee that Monday night a few weeks ago where they had a 27-13 lead. What was it? About four minutes to go and how they spit the bit and lost that game, which would have won in the division. And as it was, here they are as a sixth seed in the AFC. And boy, I think the Dolphins, this is not to say that McDaniel's going to get fired or anything like that. But if you're Stephen Ross, the owner of this team, you have to be sick to your stomach. And not only that, can also throw this in the mix. You would have thought that all of Buffalo went to Hard Rock Stadium there last night because that was just an absolute disgrace. I don't know if the Dolphin fans gave their tickets away or they just felt defeated knowing that, oh, we're not going to win this game. Who knows, but that felt like Buffalo South when you just hear the crowd throughout the course of the game and then what about the end when you see Josh Allen running toward the end zone to spark up or at least to incite the Bills fans that are there and you just hear the roar of the crowd and you think to yourself, those are fraud fans and we understand that that franchise, especially in the 70s, they were one of the pillars of the NFL with the Steelers, Raiders, Cowboys, etc. But that is just an absolute downright atrocity to have you want to call that a fan base that is oh I'd be sick to my stomach if I'm a Dolphin fan and I don't care where I'm from where I live whether it is right in the backyard in Miami Gardens or if I lived on the North Pole and if I watched that I would be just ashamed and embarrassed to be a Dolphin fan that is just a terrible job and now let's set the stage for the Storylines. I'm not going to get into predictions or anything like that just yet. I'll wait for Thursday's podcast. But now as we get to look at the top storylines of this weekend, I'm taking Baltimore and San Francisco out. But I will say this. To me, with those two teams, it's the quarterback, Lamar Jackson, and the coach, Kyle Shanahan, that are going to be the two key figures to see how far San Francisco is going to go. So, Just keep that in mind to when we get to next Monday when we talk about the storylines from that point on. But as far as the wild card goes, the number one storyline to me has to be the Dallas Cowboys. They got what they wanted. Now, I understand they don't have the one seed, so it's not as if the NFC goes through Arlington. But for the Cowboys who don't have to go down that road last year to where they have to go to Tampa again and then have to go on the road to San Francisco, in all likelihood, now that depends on either the Rams or the Packers upsetting and moving forward, that they don't have to worry about. Now the Cowboys know that they're going to have not just one, but possibly two games in their building before having to go on the road to face the Niners, we would think, for the third straight year in the postseason. And it is all right in front of them. Now their first opponent is the Packers, upstart team, Jordan Love with a little confidence, Matt LaFleur, he's been down this road before. Now... I would think Dallas is going to be heavily favored. I don't know what the spread is. If I have to guess off the top of my head, you would think maybe six and a half, maybe five and a half. They want to give the Packers maybe a little bit of respect. But the Cowboys, as we all know, they're dominant at home. They were 8-0 this year. And when they play in that building, that fast track, they just love to go up and down that field and the defense flies around. So I would think that even if the Cowboys come out of this weekend alive and maybe they would play... You would think it's going to be either... I'd be shocked if they're going to play a lower seed. So that would be Philadelphia in this case. Because even if the Cowboys win, I don't know if the Eagles... I think they would win their game. But the Rams, will they come out of Detroit alive? But be that as it may, whomever it is that they're going to play that you would think that they would be in good stead in order for them to win that game and move on. So to me, for the Cowboys, it is championship game or bust. And I understand with Dallas at Super Bowls, but they haven't been to a Super Bowl in almost three decades. So 
If you're a Cowboy fan, you just want to get to the conference title game and let the chips fall where they may. So to me, that is storyline number one. The second storyline has to be the Buffalo Bills because now with this stretch that they've gone through, five straight, they've won a division, and they too are also going to host two home games. And now there are no excuses. Remember last year, and mind you, they had the DeMar Hamlin incident, and a lot of people thought it was unfair because Cincinnati had to go to Buffalo, and we saw what happened there. I guess the football gods didn't treat them well. Well, now it's been in reverse to where the Bills who were struggling there in the first 12 weeks of the season, and now they're able to right the ship and run the table to the point where now they have some home cooking over the next two weeks, and let's see if they could upstage what they did last year, not only play the Steelers, who you would think they should easily take care of them, and I'm going to say that right now, and I'm not trying to say that as a reverse jinx, but whomever they play in that next round, that's where it's going to be interesting because, again, they have not been able to get out of the division round in the last couple of years. Because remember, they lost that heartbreaker in Kansas City two years ago, and then they lost last year in just a no-show against the Bengals. So let's see if the Bills, and I don't want to hear that all the gas in the air was out of the balloon, gas out of the tank, to where they got to the wild card round, and that was it, they had nothing left. Uh Uh-uh. This is a team that a lot of people thought they would be Super Bowl bound, and I actually picked them to go to the Super Bowl. So, a lot of eyes are going to be on Western New York to see whether or not that the Bills are going to back up this streak with a long postseason run. And I'm not trying to say that again, to throw any type of jinx or to go ahead and throw cold water on them, but that's the truth. And I get it. Everybody's going to ballyhoo this team. Oh, watch out for the Bills. They're going to be this. They're going to be that. And to this extent, I understand why. But one more time, wish Josh Allen is going to show up. And that's going to be the key. The third storyline that I'm intrigued by, I want to see what the Detroit Lions are made of. And I understand that the Lions are a team that this is unfamiliar territory for them. They won a division for the first time forever. They're going to have a home game in the postseason for the first time in 30 years when they lost to Green Bay in the wildcard game. And for this Lion team that got off to the great start against the Kansas City Chiefs there on the opening night of the season and have been steady. Yes, they've stubbed their toe a couple of times. That game in Baltimore where they got just blitzed out of the building and then losing to the Bears there a few weeks ago. And here they are. And I understand a tough loss in Dallas. You want to look at that one as well because that could have cost them when you think about it, the two seed and the two playoff games if they would have won that game. But I want to see how the Lions are going to perform. And you're going to have a lot of theater because you have the LA Rams coming into the building. And oh yes, that guy, Matthew Stafford, the longtime Detroit Lion quarterback who was drafted out of Georgia in 2009 and was with the team for what, 12 years before getting traded for Jared Goff who was just left unceremoniously by the head coach, Sean McVay. Not even a phone call, a smoke signal to tell his quarterback, hey, Jared, we're going to trade you to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. And by the way, Goff was the guy that took him to his first Super Bowl when they beat the Saints, I understand controversially, but nevertheless, took his team on a magic carpet ride to a Super Bowl. So not only does that game have a lot of intrigue but because the Lions and for what they've done this year and with that subplot being Matthew Stafford coming back home I want to see if the Lions get out of this game alive and finally win a playoff game for the first time in 32 years those are the storylines that I'm looking at here we could talk about the Browns and we could even talk about Houston for that matter but Houston to me that's a team of the future and the Browns if they were to lose this game because of Joe Flacco and them not having a quarterback, you may not be able to live with it if you're a Brown fan. I'm sure you'd probably be sick. But the Browns, to me, they'd be more of a story after winning this game and maybe going to Baltimore. But we'll see about that. I'm not going to look at the Rams. I'm not going to look at even Green Bay. I'm certainly not going to look at Pittsburgh. Philly, to me, they are wounded. I think they'll win this game against Tampa. But at the same time, I don't expect much out of them the rest of the way. And remember, A.J. Brown hurt his knee. How severe, we don't know, but if he's going to be compromised, that's going to be a huge blow to an offense that has struggled here down the stretch of the season. But those are the storylines, and as far as the matchups for the weekend, here's what you got. Cleveland at Houston, 
NBC 430, followed by Miami and Kansas City. And I guess I have to thank Buffalo for this regard because if the Dolphins would have won that game, like I mentioned, not only would we have to see Bills Dolphins again for the second straight week in that building, but Pittsburgh would have been at Kansas City and on Peacock. This is what it's come to, people. We got to have the streaming services. Again, it's not going to be on regular TV. So if you don't have Peacock, you're screwed. And you're going to have to have a free trial and then cancel and go through that whole rigmarole. So thank you, NFL, for having a game being streamed. And that's going to be Tyreek Hill, who we thought maybe at the before the schedule came out that this game would have been in Kansas City. Well, as it is, he's going to go back to Kansas City in a much bigger setting with a lot bigger stakes where the Dolphins, as we all know, they... Huh, and we'll talk more about it on Thursday. That is your Saturday night game. Your Sunday games, Pittsburgh at Buffalo, 1 o'clock CBS. Green Bay at Dallas, 4.30 on Fox. The Rams at Detroit, NBC, 8 o'clock Sunday night. I guess they want to have LA, the market there, in primetime. And it doesn't matter. It could be two of the worst teams in the NFL and it'll still draw about $20 million at least. And because it's a playoff game, it's going to draw more. And your Monday night game, we've seen this before. Philly at Tampa on a Monday night, which you saw, I believe, what, in like week three, week four? It was where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got their doors blown off, more so later in the game, second half against the Eagles. So we have to see that matchup again. And remember, that was a matchup two years ago where Tom Brady just obliterated Jalen Hurts and company in his first playoff game. But that is your schedule. And I'll get more in-depth on the games itself. And as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I'll say this before I pivot. Here's your little preview right now. Three words. Pound. The Rock. What you saw in that Raven game, to me, is going to be the same recipe. And they're going to have an extra day rest, which is going to help. And Buffalo's riding high, and they're hot. We know that. But the Steelers got to pound the Rock. And as it is, they're not going to have T.J. Watt, who suffered a knee injury on that contact play from Montrevious Adams, the linebacker, who accidentally bumped into his knee and was a grade 2 MCL sprain. So that is a... Injury that minimum is two weeks, so you may not see him to the divisional round if they get that far. So that is a huge blow for a Steelers defense, and we'll talk more about this on Thursday's podcast to get you ready for the weekend up ahead. Now, as far as Black Monday is concerned, we had the one firing there. We talked about Ron Rivera. Who knows what's going to happen with Bill Belichick? I couldn't even tell you right at this moment. I'm sure they're going to take their time. I don't think it's going to be a thing where... If something's announced today, would I be shocked? I would not. But maybe they'll just let the dust settle and have the news cycle all to themselves, maybe by tomorrow afternoon or maybe even by Wednesday for that matter. So let's see what's going to happen there. Matt Eberflus, I think, will stay in Chicago. I think the quarterback will be gone. But Eberflus, I think, did enough to save his job. But next year is going to be a big year, even with a new quarterback. And who knows? Maybe that could buy him some time. But Eberflus, who it looked like he could have been on the outs early on this year, but they... Were competitive, and even though yesterday was close, but they weren't able to muster anything there offensively against the Packers. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen with that job and that opening if it does become open. And then lastly, this is how I'm not a gambling man, and I know for weeks on end I was going to talk about my over-under numbers, and here we go, people. When I set up those two scenarios regarding the Eagles and Jaguars and how the two games that will just probably haunt me and I couldn't care less because I didn't put any money on them but the over under win totals that I had for both Jacksonville and Philadelphia 10 and 11 and a half respectively now mind you the Jaguars had 6 games left after that 8 and 3 start and all they had to do was go 3 and 3 and as we saw they went 1 and 5 similar to what the Eagles did And the Eagles needed just two wins. I could have had a five in one year. Instead, it's just a very average three and three. I had Dallas nine and a half as an over. I had both the Falcons and Saints as unders. Eight and a half and nine and a half. I had the Rams who blew away that number, six and a half. And big job by Sean McVay as I talked about. And then I had to bank on what I thought were going to be rocking chair wins in Jacksonville and Philadelphia. And what did they do? They screwed the pooch. They couldn't win two and three games respectively, or three, flip it over, three Jacksonville, two Philadelphia. They couldn't win five of their final 12 games combined. 
in order for me to go 5-1 and one and would look at least you know, a lot better than just the very average 3-3. Three and three. So that's what we got there, people. NFL just thought to throw that in there for my over-unders. So let's move on. Let's stick to football. Tonight we have a national championship on deck where we will see the Michigan Wolverines and the Washington Huskies go at it. And who knows if this is going to be the last game for one Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to say it will be because you're going to have openings in the NFL with jobs. And even the Raider job is another one with Antonio Pierce. So we'll have to wait and see if Mark Davis, and we all know that which way the wind blows, who could change his mind and maybe bring in Jim Harbaugh, as that's been rumored even going years back. But for Harbaugh himself, he finally got to the national championship game. We know his defense is stout. We know his defense has a big task ahead of him, not only with the quarterback there, Michael Penix, the Heisman Trophy runner-up with the big-time wide receivers led by Romo Dunze and the running back Dylan Johnson. And for the, excuse me, for the Wolverines who had to bite, scratch, claw, sweat out a semifinal game against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And not to say that the Husky defense is going to be a match for that offense because they are not the Michigan defense, but they're going to have to score some points here. And I understand the defense, they're going to have to play lights out. And I think their defense will show up, but here's the thing. Even if they hold the Huskies to, let's say, 27, can Michigan score 30? 31? 34? To me, that is the big storyline of the game because the Michigan offense, although they have some playmakers there, and you saw some clutch plays and some big throws, J.J. McCarthy, obviously is not Michael Penix, even on his best day. And they do not have the weapons that the Huskies have. And I get it. A good defense is always going to stop a good offense. And that's the one thing that I would really concern myself about this game tonight. Because it's easy to say that they are going to run up and down Energy Stadium there in Houston. To the tune to where Washington could probably have a big lead. And then next thing you know, they're just looking at the clock. And instead of it being their friend, it's going to be their enemy. And then Michigan's going to come back. And next thing you know, it's going to be 27-27 with two minutes to go. And you're going to have an overtime scenario to where maybe Michigan pulls it out. But I am not rooting for Michigan. I want the Huskies to win. Mind you, we haven't seen a title in each one of these universities for going back to the 90s. And they both had to share their national championships. The 97 Wolverines, remember, with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and then the 91 Huskies with the Hurricanes of that same year. Of Miami, that is. And for these schools who are looking to get to that mountaintop, and Harbaugh, I would think this is going to be it, like I said, because of all the scandal and controversy this year, and knowing that if he... I think if he wins, it's going to be a formality, and really... I can already see him saying that, oh, I want to bask in this first. I'm not looking to go to the NFL. But we all know he has his eyes set and probably one foot headed toward the NFL. And even if they lose, it's going to be a thing where why would he come back? He finally got to a championship game. He was able to beat Ohio State three straight years. He got past and slayed the semifinal beast. And yes, even if he falls short tonight, I would still think he'll look at his job as it being complete, even though they did not win a national championship. But I think when it's all said and done, he will leave. And I think Washington, and they played in a lot of these barn burners. I see it being another barn burner. I could see this being a 31-23-24 type game. I think the first team that gets the 30 is going to win. And if you're going to ask me which offense I trust more, it's going to be Washington. And I understand The Michigan defense, I get it, 100% understood, but let's see if Washington will adjust here, because if they're going to put pressure on Penix early, they're going to have to adjust their game, they just can't have Penix drop back and just, with his beautiful touch passes or go deep, they're going to have to dink and dunk here, and they can and probably will do that. And that's going to be, to me, the key of this game, how the defensive line and the offensive line of Washington, how that's going to hold up against that front. And on top of that, how they're going to be able to adjust. Because I think if you're Washington, and again, not that they're lights out on defense, but that's not a defense that's going to, that's not an offense, excuse me, that's going to have you shaking in your boots. And that's no diss 
to the Wolverine offense, but it's just a fact. So I think Washington will eke out a win tonight and be national champions. And Jim Harbaugh, I'm sure, whether it's Mark Davis or some other drunken owner, maybe even David Tepper will throw his hat in the ring, considering that they're going to need a coach and they also fired their GM today, that they will have boatloads of money ready for Jim Harbaugh to take the leap back into the NFL from what has been a successful but yet controversial stint there at his alma mater in Ann Arbor. All right, now let me turn my attention to the association as I lace up my high tops and go onto the hardwood to see what's the latest and greatest there. And there hasn't been much as of late. I know the Lakers finally won a game. They were hitting the skids. I talked about them on... Thursday, as far as a team that had lost four in a row and were on the outside looking in in the Western Conference, as far as the 7-10 through 10 window there with the playing tournament, 35 games into the season at a 17-18. and 18. But they did beat the Clippers there last night to draw themselves at 500. And it's funny because one of the guys that follow me and subscribe on YouTube, if you haven't done so, please do so. My guy, Bio Zio, who's really funny, from LA, big Laker fan. And I'm going to steal this from him. It's almost as if that the Lakers had a bit of a hangover after winning that NBA in-season tournament cup, raising the banner and them not playing well to the tune of losing four straight and floundering there in the West. So I thought that was pretty funny for him to say how the Lakers were having a bit of a hangover in-season because of a championship that they won in Las Vegas last month. So I thought that was funny, thought to share, can't take the credit, so I have to give that to him. But the one big story coming out over the last couple of days is Draymond Green and his return to the Golden State Warriors. Now, Steve Kerr said it's a good vibe. I'm sure there was a lot of discussions over the course of the last, whatever it was, three, four weeks. And Draymond Green, we all know that he's not going to be a changed player. I'm sure he's going to be tempered quite a bit. And I'm sure he's going to have to withdraw and hold back a lot here because... He is going to be a focal point down the stretch, especially if the Warriors are fighting for their playoff lives to where if somebody barrels into him for a charge or if he gets into a tangle or a mix-up with another player and he's going to have to be on his best behavior here because if another elbow or chokehold or swing or whatever it may be, he could be gone for the rest of the season. And I'm not trying to make out Draymond Green to be Dennis Rodman 2.0, which he really is, or he's a poor man's version of Dennis Rodman. Or a guy that is the blood and guts, which you could argue that he is of the Golden State Warriors. But again, to have that edge, that toughness, he's going to have to temper that a bit in order for them to see if they could get themselves in a position to where they could get into the tournament. And we understand there's still more than a half a season to go. But now with Draymond back in the mix, and I don't know when his first game will be. I'm sure it's going to be at some point this week. But how he's going to play from here on out is going to be interesting to watch. Whether or not he's going to be a guy that is going to be compromised with his fire, tenacity, and passion. Or is he going to be the same old Draymond, which I'm sure that's what he's going to say. And he's going to come across that way. But he's going to have to be a bit of a choir boy here. Because who knows, like I mentioned, that next altercation, whether he's breathing on a guy, who knows he may get suspended. That's how bad it is when it comes to Draymond this year. So that's one we're going to have to keep an eye on as far as the Warriors trying to make any noise out West, which they're currently a half game behind the Lakers. And by my mistake, the Lakers are 18 and 19. I thought that win drew them to 500, but they're actually still a game below where the Warriors are a half game behind the Lakers at 17 and 19. And then going to be without Chris Paul, who I believe fractured his hand and is going to be out four to six weeks. And sadly, that's no surprise because Chris Paul has always had these nagging injuries throughout the course of his career, whether it's hamstrings, in this case now, thumbs, and now I believe it's a wrist or his hand that now he's going to be out of the lineup. And we understand Chris Paul, long in the tooth, a guy that wants to get to that NBA mountaintop to get a ring, but I think it's going to be too little too late. So he did have surgery to repair fracture, and you're not going to see him here for the course over the course of the next Four to six weeks. So that's what we have there in the NBA as far as any other news and notes there. Nothing else to really sink our teeth into or to really get at. 
Standings wise, let's see what we have there just to take a look to see who's been hot and who's not. I know Giannis has talked about how we need the next four months to get back to business. And the Bucks, I get it. 25 and 11, that's still a good record. And they are four games behind the Celtics in the loss. But I guess there's maybe a bit of, uh, I don't want to say disconnect. I don't want to go as far as that. But it seems as if the Bucks aren't really in full sync there. I don't know. I don't have my fingerprints all over that. But. We'll see how the Bucks play from here on out based on what Giannis is saying. And other than that, Oklahoma, I know the Nuggets have now gotten ahead of them in the West. They have a half game or really a full game, but the records is a little bit skewed because the Nuggets have played 38 games and the Thunder have played 34. So they have four games in hand. But Denver is now currently second in the West behind the T-Wolves and they're just a half game behind the T-Wolves who the T-Wolves have three games in hand as they played 35 games so far this year. And Clippers have played well, even though they lost last night, as I mentioned. Dallas, a little bit of a three-game winning streak. Other than that, there's nothing really to write home about. I know the Suns have played a little bit better. Not really, but remember, they were on the outside looking in for a hot minute, and now they're ninth in the West. They've been a disappointment. And that is, I mean, this is a team that I picked to go to an NBA final. I'm sure a lot of other teams have. And we understand once you get to the tournament, they can get hot, etc. But they have underachieved. If you're Matt Ishbia, the new owner of the Suns, I'm sure you cannot be happy by the output of your ball club there. But that's what you have with the NBA. And now let me lace up my skates and take a trip around the ice to see what's happening there. And you have a few things. The first one being Connor Bedard, the number one overall pick, NHL, Chicago Blackhawks. A big hit for the Blackhawk team who are in the basement there in the central and they're going to wallow there pretty much for the rest of the year and over the course of the next month, month and a half. Because here in New Jersey on Friday night, he took a hit from the defenseman there, I believe it was what, Brendan Smith, who hit. Bedard to the point where he broke his jaw has to be wired shut I'm sure even four to six weeks he may come back with one of those face guards but still that is a injury that you cannot risk because of the high level of contact there in the NHL of course it wasn't the same type of game 30-40 years ago but I digress but for Bedard to be out with that extended time and knowing that he leads all rookies with goals assists points and a guy that could be the next face of the league, and maybe when it's all said and done, when the torch is handed from one Connor to the next, that being McDavid to Bedard, and not that there's a big disparity in age, because we all know this is McDavid's league, and everybody else is just playing in it, but Bedard has certainly put his imprint on his rookie season, and now it's going to have to take a pause for him to recover from this broken jaw, and that's just a, no pun intended, bad break there for the Blackhawks, who like I mentioned, They've been in last place in the Central here pretty much for the last few weeks, and it looks like that's what it's going to be here for the remainder of the year. 26 points. They are 12 points behind the Wild, so you can forget about that. And they've already played just about half their season. they played 40 games, and a few teams in the league have played 41. Tampa's played 41. Columbus, 41. Uh, Those are the only two teams. We have a handful of teams that have played 40, so... No Bedard there is going to be a blow for the hockey fan and for those who are looking to see Bedard come to their town to play, you will not see him here over the course between now and I would think toward the end of February. Now, speaking of the Blue Jackets, this is one where, of course, it's going to fly under the radar and I didn't talk about this last week where the goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury, most known for him being the netminder for the Penguins, also for Vegas, if you remember a few years ago, especially when they first came into the league. But Marc-Andre Fleury, who is with the Wild. I said Columbus, so my apologies there. Marc-Andre Fleury, who played in a thousand games as a goaltender and ranks amongst the greats when it comes to goalies playing that many games. But he has now tied Patrick Wouah for second all-time in wins. And Marc-Andre Fleury, who, remember, was drafted, I believe, number one many years ago. Tender age of 18. And now he's been in the league all these years. And with his next win, he's going to be second by himself. And the only person ahead of him is Martin Brodeur, notably New Jersey Devil, though tail end St. Louis Blues. 
He's not going to catch him. Martin Brodeur has 691 wins all time. But now it begs the question on whether or not Marc-Andre Fleury, is he a Hall of Famer? Based on his numbers, based on his longevity, etc. Now, I hate to say it, he's more of a compiler than he is a dominant force between the pipes. And I say that because in a couple of their cup runs in Pittsburgh, he was pulled from games. He wasn't even the top goalie. I believe what, Matt Murray was the guy that won the one cup, I guess, I it was believe against Nashville when he carried them to a Stanley Cup. And although he won that first cup in 09, when they went to back-to-back cups against the Red Wings there in 08 and 09, where the Red Wings won that first series and then the Penguins won that second one where it was an all-home Stanley Cup final until the Penguins won a Game 7 in Detroit. But for Fleury... Obviously, the numbers don't lie, and I get it. He's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame. But is he the guy that is as dominant as Martin Brodeur, Patrick Roy? You want to go back to Jacques Plante, Ken Dryden, Bernie Perrant, Terry Shawchuk, maybe even Billy Smith for that matter? Now, Billy Smith obviously was more of a money goaltender when the game was on the line, or if you had to really win a game, who's the guy you want to have in net? And that's usually Billy Smith, the Islander goaltender. But he doesn't have the gaudy numbers that the aforementioned guys do. But to me, I don't see Fleury in that category. And I'm a hard marker when it comes to all of fame. And he's going to get in. But to me, he's more of a compiler. He's the guy that got the 3,000 hits over 20 seasons. But made like 8 all-star teams. Never won an MVP. Wasn't even in the ranking for an MVP. And I don't know if he's won Vesna trophies. And I guess we got to take a look at that. But... Not to throw cold water on Fleury, but to me, that's how I look at him in his career throughout. And let me see if I can type that up real quick as I take a look at his numbers. But for him, and give it up, he's had a stellar career. And who am I to say whether or not he is worthy of being a Hall of Famer? But again, he's 39 years of age. Yes, he's been around forever, as we all know. So Fleury, as I take a look here, he's been in the league 20 years. He was drafted, I said 2005, but it has to be longer than that when you think about it. Drafted in 2003, so he's been in the league 21 years. So that goes to show you right there, he's been a compiler. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. And as far as him being Vesna Trophy winners, I don't think he has won a Vesna. Or if he was in the running, I'm sure he's probably been in the top three a couple of times, if I had to take a guess. And I'm pulling up his numbers now. He was a Vesna Trophy winner in 2020-2021. So that's later in his career, but not during his heyday in Pittsburgh. Was a All-Star just one time. Uh, that, that's not Hall of Fame worthy numbers. I'm sorry for the hockey fan that's listening to this. I'll just leave it there. They won a Jennings Trophy that same year in 2020-2021. I believe that was the same year in Vegas with him and Robin Leonard. I'd have to go back and take a look at that. But Fleury, and he's, again, he's had a great career. But Hall of Famer? I'm sorry. He's just a cup below that. And then lastly, let's talk about tennis. That's right, the first Grand Slam a week from today, or really yesterday, because of the time difference between here and Australia, where down under, the Australian Open will tee off, and it's going to be without a big player and one that we thought would be ready for the Australian Open and unfortunately will not and that's the one Rafael Nadal he was returning from injury remember he did not play last year and at what 36 37 years of age his body's starting to break down his body's starting to say hey we're not responding the way we once were and we know that Nadal plays with that every point as if it's his last And last week during the Brisbane International Tournament where he had to, in the third set, had that hip injury crop up to the point where he is not going to play here and had to withdraw from the Australian Open. And that's just a terrible break. Because we all know Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz, the top two tennis men's players, they probably will face off yet again in a final, but maybe not. You have the... Guys like Yannick Sinner, and if you want to throw in Francis Tiafo to go along with guys like Kasper Ruud and Daniel Medvedev and Alexander Rublev, you have a bunch of men's players that 
will try to barrel their way toward the top and see if they can thwart the aforementioned Djokovic and Alcaraz, but not having the doll there is a huge blow to a sport that needs as much juice as it could possibly get. And I understand it's going to be forgotten. Only the tennis fan or the diehard sports fan or diehard tennis fan is going to follow and watch this because of the time difference, because everybody's wrapped up in the NFL, and I get it, but not having the doll there is just going to be, it's tough. And we were hoping to see the doll back. Hopefully he could be on the mend over these next few months to show up at the French Open. As we all know, he's the best clay player in the history of the sport. And for him to get back there to try to get his 23rd Grand Slam to inch closer to Novak Djokovic, that could be some very good theater. But that is not until we get to the latter part of the spring. And here we are pretty much not even one month into the winter. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there with Nadal. But that's a huge blow. And next week I'll preview and get into a little bit of the tournament as the first leg of the Grand Slam kicks off down under. And then lastly, just a couple of quick things with baseball. The Dodgers pile on. Teoscar Hernandez, one year, $23.5 million. Really? Well, it is bullseye, World Series, sweep or bust. It's not even World Series in seven, if you ask me, because the Dodgers, they're going to be primed to not only win a World Series, but they better win and end up being one of the great teams of all time. And I'm not trying to make... Teoscar Hernandez out to be Roberto Clemente, but that's just another layer to add on to Shohei Otani, to add on to Yamamoto. You're probably going to have Walker Bueller come back. Who knows? I'm sure at this point, Clinton Kershaw will probably come back for a million dollars just to pitch one more year to see if he can get a ring. So all the pressure is going to be on the Dodgers, as we've talked about here over the course of the last few weeks, dominating the news here in the offseason. Then you had a trade with Robbie Ray, going to San Francisco for Mitch Hanniger, who goes back to Seattle, and another player. And Robbie Ray, who won a Cy Young in Toronto a couple years ago, got big money to go to Seattle. And Seattle's made a lot of moves here this offseason, whether it's Jared Kalenic, Eugenio Suarez. Are they breaking the team? Do they realize that they're going to have to pay the guys like George Kirby and Logan Gilbert down the road to big-time contracts to go along with the, although very friendly, contract of a one Luis Castillo, the pitcher, but the Mariners have made a lot of moves this offseason. And now they get Hanniger back. But Robbie Ray goes to San Francisco, which they need all the help they could get. But that's a good tandem at the top of the rotation with he and Logan Webb. Then you have the Mets, who continue to add pieces. And pieces that aren't sexy. And we understand that 2025 is going to be the year that they're going to take off. And we'll see about that. But they go bargain Basement hunting again for one Sean Manaya, the former Oakland A's pitcher, San Diego Padres. He's bounced around here over the last couple of years. And he's a lefty, crafty, doesn't really throw hard, but it's just another arm in the rotation to go along with Luis Severino, obviously with Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana. So I'll talk more about I'm not even going to get into the Mets right now, but Steve Cohen. He's sticking to the game plan of trying just to add pieces and seeing if maybe some of these young guys, maybe not next year, but 2025, the Luis Angel Acunas and the Drew Gilberts, the two big pieces that they got in the Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander trades respectively. So the Mets continue to just add little pieces here to see what they could do to be the little engine that could. The once $345 million payroll now looking like a small market team. And again, I'll save that for another time. And then lastly, Michael Brantley retires the longtime Indian and, or at the time, Indian. And of course, the Houston Astro, professional hitter, good player, good stick, retires after 15 years. I know a lot of injuries throughout the course of his career, shoulders, legs, etc., knees. So he hangs it up after a long career and of course, a World Series. I, I don't think he was on that 17 team. We know he was on the team just a year or so ago, two seasons now when you think back to 2022. So Brantley goes off into the sunset, into retirement, and kudos to him and all the best to his next chapter in life. And now, do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by, for listening to what it is to have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, review. You know the deal. Just like I mentioned at the very top. If you want to follow me on my YouTube channel at J Reels, question, comment, suggestion. On any of my social media platforms, you could do so there, not only at YouTube, but also Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels, one, just a number, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals, because whether you do or do not know, 
This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. It's like to say, talking sports since birth. And I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing on God's green planet. And as I've said before, and I'll say one more time, we're already into 2024, and there's going to be a shift. Keep your eyes peeled on my YouTube channel for updates and listen in here on the podcast because there will be a seismic shift as to what's going to happen here with the podcast over the coming weeks and months to come as we continue to barrel on and get closer to the 6th anniversary of the J Reels podcast. So certainly keep that in mind, people. I will continue to deliver the fire, passion, energy, fury with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.